Hey, welcome to RushCast. My name is Jay Mantis. Thank you for being here. I hope you've been enjoying our uh, the last few episodes we've released. Today I have another great guest. David Bottrell is here. This is the person that is responsible for remixing or remastering Vapor Trails. Uh, that, and I think most of us can agree we're very much appreciative that that has happened. Uh, so, David, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure, Jay. Thanks for having me. Uh, the first thing I want to ask, and I just remembered in, in that intro, what what are you classifying this as? Is it a remix and a remaster, or is it just a remix? It was, it, it, from my point of view, it was a remix. I remixed it. I didn't remaster, but the it was subsequently remastered after my mixes, as all mixes get mastered. Uh-huh. Um, what, what was the... Uh, this is one of the first things I thought. Like, how does an album get overcooked, as it's been described? What was what happened okay, you, to Vapor Trails? You know what? It, it, I think that at the time period that that record was made, I mean, think about it. The 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 band themselves, particularly Neil, had gone through some pretty horrific personal tragedy. The fact that they managed to get together back as a band and get through and make this record, I think, is an accomplishment in itself, just just that alone. Mm-hmm. But at that time period, there was a real thing going on. It still kind of goes on now. It's called the volume wars, right? Mm-hmm. Everything had to be louder than everything else. So everything got really compressed and limited to the point where it just ended up being um, so much, so much in your face and so much the music being sitting on the end of your nose entirely, that that the thing that was always great about Rush was their dynamic, was their depth, was their, you know, atmosphere, uh, as much as the hard-hitting stuff, that I think that's just got a little bit lost in that particular, in that particular mix. And it's not a bad mix. It's nothing like, I, I want to make sure that everybody knows that, this, that there was no, like, technical flaw, wasn't a problem. It was just a symptom of the time. This is how things wanted to be recorded, wanted to be edged louder, you know, a little bit more distorted, a little bit more pushed, push, push, push to the edge. And I think that when they were doing it, you know, maybe there was, you know, there's other things on their mind, there's other things that were, were going on, and, you know, at the time. And that's the end of it. That's the, 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 the record that they ended up making and the, mm-hmm. the, the sound of the album that they ended up making. Okay. It was a certain time period. It was a certain sort of, Edge, and that's what that that's what it ended up being. And I guess a lot of people were, you know, loved the material, loved the songwriting, but weren't happy with the sound of it. So the guys came to me and said, you know, we wanted to redo this. Can you can you remix it? What do you think? You know, and they sent me the tracks, and, and that's what we did. Uh, and I I think the way I understand it is, uh, they just said, here you go. How did it work? Did they say, here are the raw tracks? And you just you do what you got to do. Yeah, it was it's much in the same way that you know if you want to remix something, you hand somebody the multi-track tapes and they remix it. I uh-huh. just got the raw tracks, the raw recorded tracks. It was you know done digitally, so it was on the computer. But same thing, it was just all the original raw tracks on there, um, with some extra things that that maybe got used or maybe didn't get used in the original mix, um, and, and just re- did a complete from the ground up remix. I see. Um... Uh, and I, I think I read um, that you had no reference to the old, maybe not no reference, but you didn't go back and forth between the original Vapor Trails back to what you were doing to say, um, 
is this true to how it was before or is this too close or too far away from was it was before it seemed like you you weren't referencing that you were doing your own thing no i i listened to it you know i i heard the record of course and funnily enough it, at the time that they made the record, I actually went into meetings with them at one point to maybe produce that record. It didn't happen in the end, but it, you know, I listened to the, the tracks that they had mixed and listened to the, the album before just, just to get an idea. Uh-huh. But if somebody hands me something and says, you know what, people weren't happy with this, we want to remix it, why would I then go back and re-reference what was going on before? It's like, you give me the raw tracks, I'll mix it the way I think is right. If you right. like it, great. If you don't, then tell me which way you want to go. But, the, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't, I wasn't trying to recreate what they had. I just thought, well, let's do a remix of it. Okay. Um, was there a hardest song to fix? Did you get to assert, and maybe, you know, did you do them in order from top to bottom? Uh, I just thought maybe there, maybe there was one song you got to the, you got to it and you went, oh man, this is not going to be easy. No, not really. Whenever I mix something, I kind of, I mix a few few songs and sort of try and develop the character of the album that I'm going to be and sort of use that template for everything. But, uh, you know, once I'm two or three songs in, I'm usually into a role of how it goes. And I get feedback from whoever the, the band is or, you know, the client is. And I get the feedback from them and say, okay, we want to do a little bit more like this, a little bit more like that. Do that over a few songs. Then once you're on a, on a wave of how the record's going to sound, then you just roll through. And then maybe you go back and redo the first a couple but uh, generally, I, I didn't find myself having any more difficulty with one song than another. They were all they were all really well recorded. Like everybody, you know, I read some things online afterwards of like, oh, you know, this it sounded like this because the recording was all messed up, or yeah. the, this is that's just not true. The recording was fine. It was a great recording. You know, the playing was great. It's just the way that it ended up being mixed at the end. And again, it's not a bad thing. It's just that was the sort of sound of the times. So. You know, when I got the tracks, there was great recordings, great sounds, and fantastic performances. So it was actually, for me, quite easy to do, just, you know, feature the right performances. Now, I think, I guess, I guess I got a couple things wrong in that there were some solos that weren't there before that I did use. But, you know, I passed everything through the band before it ever went anywhere further than me, and they all liked it. They never said, oh, you used the wrong solo. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was definitely refreshing as a listener to go, oh, here's new material that I, I haven't heard before, you know? Right. But again, here's another thing. A lot of people online said, oh, they, did they, they must have re-recorded stuff. They redid but You know, nobody was over at my studio re-recording anything. I just huh. had what I was given from the original track. There's no re-recording. There was nothing, nothing new. It just was, you know... Stuff that, like when, when you record a record, generally there are things that you've recorded that don't get used in the mix. That's, you know, especially with a band like ours, they try lots of ideas. Yeah. Now, I ended up finding things that I liked that I thought, oh, that's good, I'll use that. And, you know, that might have not been on the original recording. But I think, you know, I mean, a lot of people said, oh, you know, they should have stuck true to, you know, what it was before. But, you know, it, it'd be it'd be the same thing as if you know when they play live, they play exactly what they played every time. Like it's part of having something new. I would have thought that was kind of nice for the fans, nice for yeah, people yeah. to hear some new material in it. You know, in a way, it kind of reminds me of the role of a almost like your role as an arranger, where you took a, a composer's piece and you're arranging it for, for example, maybe a different uh, instrumentation. Where it's not it's not identical. To this, it's the same composition, 
but you're just, it, there's tiny little tweaks that make everyone every arranger's different. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, I think I think when you mix something, when you're handed uh, when you're handed something to mix by a band, you're you're essentially given you know a, a a palette of great colors and performances and textures, and your job as a mixer, I think, really is to balance that into into a you know a great picture that you see or that that you all see together. But you're 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 handed a real a real palette of great stuff, uh-huh. and it's your job just to find the best the best balance of anything, the best blend. Um, now here's an interesting thing I just thought of. Uh, Vapor Trails, for me, when it first came out, it took me a while to be interested in it and really love it, only because. I'm a fan of synthesizers, and I know that this this album kind of boasted that it didn't have any synthesizers. Um, did you you were able to see those tracks like top to bottom on top of each other? Uh, did this album look like it was layered more than other albums? You know, there are a lot of vocal there are a lot of vocalizations hap- happening, a lot of vocal parts, a lot of guitar layering. At least that's how it sounds. Were there a lot? Yeah. Yeah, this, there was a lot of guitar layering on there, definitely. I mean, I think I think that, you know, they had a lot of time to work on the material, primarily, you know, because they were doing it in Toronto, and uh, they had a studio booked up for a year, and Neil was coming back and forth, and he was living in L.A. at the time. Oh, yeah, they so said it took forever probably, to make that record, right? Yeah, it took a long, long time. But it took a long time, as much as anything, I think, to write as well, because, you know, again... Like Neil had, he'd been riding his bike for two years, yeah. right? Or three years, whatever. He hadn't played, so they were kind of getting back into learning how to be a band again. And you know, for guys that were, you know, let's say on the other side of forty-five, you know, at the time, you know, maybe the other side of fifty. I don't know. Hmm. It's like it, it was not an easy process to do. And I think they were kind of even deciding at the time whether they wanted to be a band anymore, whether they wanted to do this. Yep. You know, ultimately, ultimately, the answer was yes, which is great for all of us. But, but uh, I think that um, you know the the writing process they had to rediscover that and re um, re-engineer how they how they worked together. So it it took a lot of you know um, took a lot of time to to get that back. And so you know, with that time, they had a lot of time to experiment in the recording and try different layering techniques and different vocal things and getting, you know, all kinds of stuff was on that record. Yeah. And you know, I just I just hope that in this remixing process, everything you can hear everything because I think that was part of the problem maybe on the other one because it would it had that you know fairly heavily limited you know in your face kind of kind of mixing production. Uh, it, a lot of the a lot of the detail. When you do that, some of the detail gets a little lost because you know not everything can be as loud as everything else. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's sort of a, a, a sonic impossibility. So you know, hopefully with with the remix, what ends up happening is that you, know, you get to hear all the, some of the cool layering that went on. You know, and and, and if you want it louder, well, you know, everybody's got a volume knob on their stereo. Uh, you can just go turn it up. Well, it was funny because like I was learn as that album had come into existence i had been learning bass guitar and i of course i'm going through the rush catalog and i wanted to learn vapor trails tunes but i often couldn't because it didn't sound you couldn't hear the bass guitar part it, it was there but it was in this wave of sound and now it, yeah. to hear to hear your remix was like oh that's what he's doing there you know that's great <laughs> that's the tone i know and love um yeah so 
as a fan, uh, what is your? Do you have a couple favorite tracks from Vapor Trails? And was there a track that when you were done remixing, you went, "Oh, that's what that song needed." This was that. You know, was there a track that really, really felt good when you remixed it? You know what? I I I can't say that there's any. Whenever I mix something, it's purely and it, it kind of sounds so cliche, but I do actually go on instinct of what I'm listening to, and and, and uh-huh. I kind of I know what I like to hear, and when I hear a part and I hear what it's doing, I kind of I know where I want it to sit. I, that doesn't I I, I, don't, I don't always agree with the band when that happens, but uh, you know I I don't tend to. You know, I, I I don't know. It's hard for me to explain, but I do tend to just kind of go by the seat of my pants a lot of the time. And like, uh-huh. oh yeah, that's good. Oh, I'll do that. And that should go on the left. And this should go here. And try to fit things together. It's like a big, it's like a big puzzle for me. And when I find a way to fit stuff together, then it then it works for me. You know. And I tend to when I do mix, I tend to mix quite a low volume. So that means that you know everything. You got to be able to hear everything. Mm-hmm you know, in 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 that kind of format before turning it up really loud. Because turning it up really loud, it just kind of obscures things for me. So I mix quite quietly. So, uh, you know, I don't think there was any one track um, that I found that was more difficult or, or I had a specific vision for. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I know the band pretty well, just, you know, being Canadian, we, we kind of have to. <laughs> It comes in boxes of tied for us. So, so we, we kind of know the band. So I know them, you know, I've, I've grown up with them, like a lot of people have. Yeah. So I know the way I, in my, in my heart, I hear Rush. And when I got, when I heard that record, it wasn't, wasn't the same. When I redid it, it's like, this is how I want it to feel. I want it to sound. And so it wasn't, I don't think there was a master plan that I had. It was just an instinctual thing. Yeah, it, it must be amazing to, you know, as a as a fan of a band's music to think, oh, this, you know, this isn't mixed as perfectly as it could be, and for you, you're the only person on the planet who got to put what you think would be the your perfect mix, you know. I don't, I can't sure, make make sure, trail sound my like perfect, I want. But my perfect mix might not be the same as somebody else's perfect mix. Exactly, it just happened to work out at the time, and you know. Like, uh, there are lots of people that do what I do and do it very well, and, you know, some that do it better than me, some that don't do it as well as me. Uh-huh. But it's, 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 it's really a taste to me, I think. And, you know, when, you, when you're working on something, if your tastes uh, sort of collide with other people's tastes in a good way, then, then it can work out really well. If it, if it doesn't, then it doesn't work out. But, but I find that, you know, I think being a fan of the band and, being, and knowing a lot about them uh, as a kid growing up listening to them, that, that probably helps. Because, like, you know, you know how Getty sounds, you know how the bass sounds, you know how Alex's guitar sounds, you know yeah. how Neil Strong sounds. Yep. So it's like, okay, you know, it's, it's easier in that way because it's like, okay, well, this is how they sound, so I'll make them sound like I think they should sound. Uh-huh. But but it's, it's, you know, always, um, I don't know, it, it's always a challenge to try and achieve what you hear in your mind, what you hear in your head mm-hmm. from the history. Because historically, you always hear, it's like, you know, when you think of Led Zeppelin, oh, the drums are enormous, and it's, you know, the bottom has this huge sound, the whole sound is heavy, and metal. When you go back and listen to it, it's like, actually, it wasn't that big. It just had a certain character to it yeah. that, is, that, that is, in your, is in your mind. So, so referencing that 
to, to rediscover. Like, I did listen to old Rush records as well at the time, just, just a little bit, just to go, oh, yeah, okay, this is how they, they sound. But then hopefully modernize it to the way that, you know, I like to hear records as well. So mm-hmm. if it's a balance, if it's not, I don't know. I, I, I like to think that I got the best balance of what they were trying to achieve and how I'd like to hear Rush. So, Is it, are there... Is it fair to to say that there are similarities between um, what a producer does and what a sound engineer does for a live show? Um, it, uh, yes and no. I would say a producer on a record, for me, what a producer does is try to make the songs as good as they can be from a compositional standpoint mm-hmm. as well as from a sonic standpoint. Um, a front-of-house mixer, which is also a very creative uh, position and job, tries to interpret how the band is playing, how their live stage sound is, and translate it to you know the size of venue that they're in, and 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 enhance the music and support the music, but not um, uh, like try to represent the music as the band wants to represent it in their performance. Sure. Yeah. I think a producer in the studio is is more of it's more compositional okay. than a front of house engineer would be. Uh huh. Um. Did you have any input uh, for the album art? Did you know what the album art was going to look like? No, no idea. Uh, not not my department, I'm afraid. It's it was such a. It, it's kind of funny because you were kind of the only, you were kind of the only guy on this project, right? They gave you the the the, um, the audio and you mixed it, so so for it was almost your album. You know what I mean? Uh, so I thought it was kind of interesting um, that they gave it well, completely you know, new they're, album they're, art. They're, they're, they're Andy and, and and Ray and you know Anthem, you know those guys. Uh-huh. Not just more than just me. You know, okay. I got the tracks and I mixed them, and you know then then you know it went off to Andy and then that and he mastered it and then. Uh, uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't have anything to do with the like the like. I'm not on the marketing or the the artwork side, and it's not my that's not my strength. You know, I don't. I, I'm not good at those. It's not what I focused on for the right. last thirty years. Well, is, is it cool to have somebody put a, a visual piece of art um, on your audio art? How does that? Yeah, feel? I always love to. I always love to see what people put on the records that I make. I always love to see what what people how they envision themselves in that particular, uh, you know, moment. Because I kind of think albums, albums are kind of like a snapshot of, of the, you know, the creative position the band is in at that time. Yes. And inclu- it includes the artwork, it includes everything that goes along with it. So it's kind of, it's interesting to see and be able to get another, another, another crack at the, at the camera. <laughs> you know, to remix an album, to redo it. So, so That's it's, one it's of the things we talked to. about on this show when we did we did an episode about this remixed album, just about what we thought of it when it first came out, and um, that was one of the things that we were uh, discussing. Is uh, it's a the 2002 album is a representation of 2002 and what the band was doing in 2002. So while we love the new remix. We're not, I'm not. It's not like I'm never going to listen to the original again because that represents that time, and it is cool to have, like you said, there are differences musically as well. So I have two different versions of this album to enjoy. Yeah. Now. Yeah, I, I mean, I. Oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that you know, I, I I don't think 
don't think anybody was trying to circumvent that album and that mix of that album. I think there was just such a a request from the fans to, you know, try and change the sound of that because I think people loved the material, but they they wanted to get away from that time period of, of sound. And so being able to do that for them, just to give them another option of something else to listen to, to kind of be more, you know, in, invite them more into the material because, you uh-huh. know, there is some amazing material. I mean, if you think lyrically on that album, what Neil wrote, I mean, it's pretty amazing, the, yeah. the catharsis of what came out, you know, in, that, in, in a lot of those, you know, Ghost Rider, for example, as a song, you know, like, you know, those things, you know, are are amazing to listen to. And I think, you know, in, in the mix that I did, hopefully I was I was true to the, the spirit of what they did in 2004 or whatever, and, but still, um, you know, kind of invited more people in mm-hmm. to that material. Now, I asked this to just about everybody that comes on the show. Um, what was your relationship with Rush? Outside of Vapor Trails, it sounds like you were a pretty big fan beforehand. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I grew up with them as a kid. I mean, they played, they played, you know, Dundas Arena when I was thirteen, I think, probably or something like that. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, um, you know, I, I've I've known of this band since I was a kid and followed them from, you know, the you know the time periods of Fly By Night all the way to you know Vapor Trails and you know moving pictures in between, you know, so, you know, I think, I think that, you know, having been, having been a fan of the band for so long, you know, it was, it's, you know, been a great pleasure to be able to work with them on, on, you know, the very things that we've done. Yeah. Um, the being in Toronto itself is just something that I'm jealous of to be in the same city as, um, that the history of this band. Um, when I went to, uh cancun we went to a resort with one of my friends when i was in high school and it was the first time i'd ever met someone from toronto we're in mexico and we're playing beach volleyball and this wedding party in front of us that we're playing we ask them where they're from they say toronto so all my buddies know i'm a big rush head and i go toronto you guys must love rush and the guy without missing a beat turns around and looks at me and goes f rush (laughs) And I, it broke my heart. I was like, "You mean everyone in Toronto doesn't love Rush?" <laughs> um, you know, you never hear in your hometown. It's, it's <laughs> that thing sometimes. You know, I think they're they're respected here, and and I think they're loved in in certain quarters. But you know, like 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 everywhere, you know, our bands are you know when they're it's like you know what I'll tell you a story. This is not a Rush story, but. I went out, this is, this is 1986, and I was working in Peter Gabriel's studio in Bath, and uh, the guy who was also working there went, uh, was trying to put together a Led Zeppelin reunion, right? This, is, <laughs> this never happened, but it was going to be with Tony Thompson on drums, and uh, they were doing some rehearsing just outside Bath, and we went out one night. And here I am, you know, still at that time, you know, 25-year-old Canadian kid who'd grown up with Led Zeppelin, huge fan, and we're just out at the pub with Robert Plant. But in the pub, everybody's just looking around, it's like, oh, yeah, him, who cares? <laughs> like, nobody cared. Me, I'm sitting with, like, you know, a rock god, yep. you know, and barely knowing what to say, and everybody around is like, oh, yeah, hey, Percy, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, nobody cared. Wow. So... 
it was it's it's the same thing I think anywhere with with your kind of your your local hero band usually I mean you know I don't know maybe Aerosmith are big in Boston I don't know maybe they're still well you know but I think it's probably the same thing it's like you just if you're from there and you've you played a lot there as as young kids it's not the same thing you know you're not as revered as you are elsewhere I think that's so, just the, the the nature of people. Let's say you're going to a Rush show this weekend. You're you're going to one of their their uh, concerts on the new tour. Give me two tracks that you you hope you you really hope that they play. Um. Well, they usually do play them. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I mean, I'm I'm a big Moving Pictures fan. So oh, okay. You know, I'd, I'd love to hear Lime Light. I'd love to hear Tom Sawyer. I'd love to hear those those yeah, songs. It's so, funny. You know, but they'll all they'll always play those. So, yeah, like you know, half of Moving Pictures is always a given. I love it. Pretty much, you know. But I mean, I mean, if you think about it, I think that record, in my opinion, and this is only one man's opinion, but it seems to me that that record kind of really blended, like married the progressive with the pop and commercial kind of, like mm-hmm. the, the most the purest blend of that was, was achieved on that record, I think. Okay. Like it really, like that really hit it out of the park when it came to those two things. Because like, it it's still progressive. It's still, like, you know, got lots of different things on it. But, you know, Wild Way Dead, for, for example. But, I mean, you have, you have the, uh, you, you, you have those songs that have that, that progressive edge but are still accessible mm-hmm. in, in more ways than, than others have been. I think that, that's why that particular record did so well because it still was them, still was the essence of them, but it 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 had areas where you know anyone could grab onto it. Yeah. Now we're approaching the part of the show where I ask you about baseball, and I wish I was kidding, but I'm not. <laughs> it seems like <laughs> each time I have a rush person on, uh, we end up talking about baseball. Well, I, I end up asking about baseball, I should say. But um, are you a Blue Jays fan? Um. I'm probably like a Fairweather Blue Jays fan. Okay. I'm not. I'm not a deep fan. I. I. I've, my old business partner is a huge fan, so I used to follow it through him. No, I'm more of a hockey guy. I was to gonna honest. say I should but, probably but, say who's your hockey team. That'd be more stylistically <laughs> correct. Well, I. I. I'm. I'm. I'm a sad, 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 long-suffering Leafs fan. <laughs> um, Truth be told, but hey. <laughs> you know, you guys, you guys are. You know, if you, I don't know if you're a Buffalo fan, but you guys are going to get Connor McDavid this year. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, I know you very well. I don't follow the NHL a ton, but I I know just from what I hear um, in passing is that the Leafs are having a tough time. Oh, it's, it's atrocious! It's, it's, <laughs> it's as bad or worse than it's ever been this year. And is is that it's, kind of uh, is Toronto kind of the hub of? Of hockey and, and Canadian hockey, or is it somewhere else that's kind of the capital? It, it it depends on who you ask. You see, if you ask somebody from Toronto, of course they would say Toronto. You ask somebody from Montreal, and they'll say it's oh. Montreal. Okay, you know? so it's not I, like, it's I, I not think, like the Mets and they... the Yankees. Sorry, it's not like the Mets and the Yankees where New York baseball is expected to be good. It's it's kind of you have many of those. It sounds like in Canada for hockey. Yeah, I mean Montreal is doing fantastic this year, uh-huh. right? Yep. They're doing great. They, they've 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 had a, a much bigger legacy of of 
excellent in Montreal than there has been in Toronto. You know, we've had we've had many years. We've not won since 1967. <laughs> so, although Toronto is kind of seen as a bit of a hockey mecca, mm-hmm. but you know, our team our team has has fits and starts, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and this this year this year has been a grand catastrophe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then you know, Montreal. Uh, sorry, uh, Vancouver. Went to the finals and then lost in the finals, and there was a silly riot and yep. you know a bunch of childish behavior. <laughs> so you know, I mean, you know, Edmonton did great. Calgary's won, you know. Yeah. So we've got a bunch of good Canadian teams. It's it's a hard sport, you know. It's, it's Canadians probably Canada's more favorite sport than baseball is. Yeah. But baseball, you know, we've done better in. So I mean, like I said, with with the Blue Jays, I'm a I'm a I'm a Fairweather fan. I will watch. I think the nice thing about baseball is that, you know, it's on for so long. You know, when I cook dinners, I throw on something on TV, and it's usually sports of some kind. So baseball's always there, you know, generally. So you throw it on, there it is. But, you know, I think that uh, I think that we have, well, one of our, our best pitchers out for the season, right? Right away. Yep. In preseason. Stroman. You got, uh, what, ACL? Blue's ACL, something like that. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Marcus Stroman was like our, our main closer. <laughs> like he, he was our guy. And uh, I think he was, I'm not sure whether he was a closer, actually. That's my ignorance on baseball. But he was a very good pitcher. He was a cornerstone of the team. And he was in bunting practice and he blew out his ACL. Oh, no. Can that yeah. can be any more embarrassing? Uh, so, uh, what kind of, what are your current projects? What are you working on? Uh, well, actually, I've kind of put some projects on hold because on Tuesday I have to go in for surgery. Oh no! On the on my on my uh, um, I have to have what's called a laminectomy, which is they remove the back bit of your neck spine, wow. so that uh, my I have some nerve compression potentially. So they're pulling that off. So I'm kind of out of commission for the next six or ten weeks. I see. So, but I've been working with this great Toronto band called Menage. Uh-huh. Uh, doing some songs with them. I just got back recently from Greece, working with a band called Maple Run there, and I just finished mixing them. So, you know, lots of fun there. And and, and a uh, a bit of a did uh, a, a project in Switzerland with um, uh, a, a sort of a band that is sort of disciples called they're called Sonar, and they're sort of disciples of Robert Swift and you know that sort of. Uh, multi-time signature guitar playing instrumental music. And huh. that was a lot of fun. Now, you, you said before we went on the air that you might have an, uh, it might be a good opportunity to kind of debunk some conspiracies. Did we cover them all? I think so. Yeah, because, I mean, there's a lot of, like, you know, I sort of, I, I made a mistake of answering somebody on, on my Facebook page. Oh, no. <laughs> and it just, it just kind of blew up into, you know, conspiracy theory. It's like, you know, everybody's saying, oh, there's new material, the, the tracks were all distorted when they were recorded. It, none of that is true. There's no new material. I just got the raw tracks and just mixed what I had. Yeah. And, you know, the guys the guys were never over at my studio. We did it all by, you know, email and phone. Or they were touring at the time. Uh-huh. So, you know, it was, um, it was, it was, and, and I have to say, it's a pleasant process working with these guys. They're such, they're such great guys. Yeah. So... That's what everyone says coming on the show. Those are the guys are just really good to work with. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. 
David, thank you so, so much. I think uh, I'm speaking for the majority of the Rush fan base when I say thank you and good job. Thanks very much. Uh, can you let me know when it's going to be on so I can listen? Of course. Cool. All right. Yeah, this was great. Thanks, David. Great. It's my pleasure. I hope you got enough. That was cool. I've never thought that I would be talking to these people. You know what I mean? These albums come out and you don't. You never think, oh, someday I'll ask this guy all these questions that I'm wondering. Same with Donna and same with Kevin Anderson. It's it's really, really cool. Um, send me your set lists, please. Set list challenge. If you don't know about it, send me 30 songs via email that you think are going to be on the next tour. And I'm documenting all of them. We're going to see who is the closest and who is the most correctest. That's a word, I think. Um, cool. We got baseball in there, which means the podcast is complete. <laughs> and uh, thank you very much for being here. If you like the show, you should rate and review us on iTunes because that'll give us a little more publicity so we can start doing better and get bigger numbers. Um, cool. Thank you guys for being here. Brought to you no, by. Brought to you by Knickerbocker.